0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Um, God, thank you for today, your word of God, uh, your word, which is living and active. I pray that that same word would go forth and not return to you void, uh, that uh, your work would be done uh, in it and by it and on us. Um, open our ears in Jesus' name. Amen. Um. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate that. Uh, so this series, second, I think, in seven or eight weeks. I don't know which, how many weeks it's going to be. Um, a little bit different than some of the things I've done in the past, and as much as I'm trying to, to, to write, I'm trying to pull some things together and put them down on paper. Don't really know what for yet. Um, in some ways, just put a marker down so that, like, when we have staff or. Uh, newcomers or somebody else that wants to kind of dig in a little bit—it's pretty theologically dense. Um, it's not what I would call academic theology, but we're definitely organizing theology. I pray in the service of the church. Uh, uh, the marker generally says, you know, this is this is this is reflective of the Advent. I won't say it's up and down, left to to right, exactly what the Advent believes. It's not the Advent's catechism, so to speak, but it's. Uh, it's centered on salvation, um, uh, and I think that's where the Advent keeps its center as well. Um, the Word of God being living and active, a preaching and teaching parish. We preach the Word, we teach the Word. The Word does its work of uh, of of salvation. Salvation having all the big effications of mortification and then justification and then sanctification and then ultimately our glorification. Um, uh, so that's kind of where we are. That's what this series is and hopefully along the way there'll be something that's useful and helpful. I, I love feedback. Um, uh, if you have any to, to offer um, now or, or later, you know, certainly welcome that. Um, make this a conversational class because uh, what I've given you is kind of what I'm talking about, and so there's plenty to talk about. Um, uh, next week, we're not meeting. Um, I've got to be away, uh, but then uh, the following week, spring break and everything else, just going straight through. Um, so uh, Hey, Bart. Um, so with that, uh, last week, and I've got some handouts if you want to come up and get it from last week, just to catch up a little bit. We started off saying that we, uh, uh, it's a good question. Where do you start when you start thinking about uh, when you start thinking about theology, when you start thinking about God, when you start thinking about the Christian life, when you start thinking about what you're thinking about. um, Where do you start? And uh, and the answer that I'm putting forth, and I'm not making it up, is we start on the bottom. You know, it's a ground-up theology. And so we start off uh, where many of us start, and that's at a point of need, you know, right down there at the bottom. When we're told who we are, and that word is something like you need help, um, you need life, you need hope, you need salvation, you need, you need something that you don't have. And Without it, um, at best, life is going to be difficult. At worst, um, you're going to die. Um, this life or the life to come. Um, we start from the ground up. So last week we talked a lot about sin. What is sin and the different ways you can see that. I'm going to try to hurry past this. Where sin, as it's sometimes understood, is thought of as a behavior or an act, and it's certainly true, but the greater emphasis is more on the um, what's sometimes called a capital S, though I don't write it with a capital S, of just the, the our problem, sin. Um, sin which uh, is bigger than us, which overpowers us, which um, imprisons us, which keeps us in bondage. Uh, this thing that's original to us, that's in our DNA, that... Uh, Goes far beyond something distinct, like smoking or drinking or dancing, you know, kind of the footloose things. Um, uh, sin is not something chosen. Sin is something that simply uh, uh, owns us because it's original to us. It's in our very fabric, our being. So we started there. Um, what we didn't get to, and I want to say a little bit about this, kind of catch up, is what we mean when we talk about the heart. Um, because that's a big part of uh, where, where this hope I, th- I think it's going to end here is what is a uh, what is Anglicanism has the advent fit into sort of you know sort of Christendom as it were one of the big contributions and by no means is is, is, it, is it is it is this this only an Anglican word but we turn our attention to Thomas Cramner the architect of anglicanism in the prayer book and he has a he has a, a theology of the heart. You can't miss it. We most heartily thank thee, incline our hearts to keep this law. We heard that this morning. Um, uh, feed on him with thy heart, by faith with thanksgiving. Heart is all over our liturgies. And so we're going to end up there. But we've got to ask, what does it mean when we talk about the heart? Because um, it's not just an Anglican word, it's a biblical word. quick word search. I did this last week. I think it was 789 instances of the word heart in the ESV version of the Bible. That's a lot. Now, there are going to be different ones that go along, but most of it has to do with uh, the heart. What do we mean by that? Uh, The heart as the sort of center of our being, the the, the core of who we are, that thing which is diseased and wrong, uh, which Jeremiah and Ezekiel call a stony heart and the thing that needs to be replaced. And who among us can perform heart surgery on themselves? Who can do a heart transplant um, on yourself? You need another. And so the whole operation of God is to exchange the heart of stone for a heart of flesh. Um, That's a phrase that's repeated a few times in the scriptures. So that's what we mean when we talk about the heart. If the problem is a heart problem, then everything goes there and then that great phrase that a man named Ashley Knoll, who's a friend of the Advent, created to describe, this gets kind of funny. Ashley Knoll created a phrase to describe the theology of Philip Melanchthon, who was reflecting Martin Luther, as he then wanted to uh, describe how Thomas Cramner encapsulated it in his prayer books, and also in his articles and some others. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. Um, What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. The mind is captive to the will, and the will, in turn, is captive to the heart. What the heart loves, the heart being the fount of all things, uh, the will chooses. So going up from the heart, where things such as uh, appetites, and affections, and desires, and obsessions and thirsts and hungers, uh big fancy word called concupiscence. Um this is where these things spring. For from the heart, uh things come forth beyond our control. Um just talking to the sixth grade, and it's like those Snickers commercials, where when you're hungry you're another person and you can't not not be that person where it so preoccupies you that you can't not uh, stop it. You don't have to behave on it. But you can't stop the heart's desires. What the heart loves, the affections of the heart, the love of the heart, um, then determines what the will, at sort of that, that, that level of appetite, what it wants to choose. And then the mind creates this justification around it. Um, Aesop's fable, just heard about that again this week, um, with the, uh, the sour grapes. Uh, fable. What is it? Like a, a, a wolf or something like that is trying to jump up and, and grab some grapes and he keeps jumping and he can't get there. and What does he say at the end? Well, stupid grapes. I don't want them anyway. They're probably sour. You know, The heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. A great, that's Aesop's um, common expression of the penetrating insight of what we would have as this biblical theology. The, the, the wolf saw the grapes. And his heart loved him, and he couldn't not not think about him. He had to jump and jump, and he tried and he tried, he huffed and he puffed, and nothing happened. And then his mind had to justify his behavior, why he he couldn't have what his heart longed for. Stupid grapes, they're probably souring you, I didn't want those. You know, the ones I had last night were much better. Um, So this desire, what this heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. So the issue is the heart. So what do we mean when we talk about the heart? Lord, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew this right spirit within me. For the spirit that comes from my heart uh, has to be from a new heart for it to be a new spirit. For this old stony heart where the seat of all of my sin lies. um, You've got to do this, Lord. You have to do this. You said you would, and I'm holding you to it. Without a new heart, I'm doomed. So that's what we mean when we talk about the heart. So, comments there, because that's going to be the bridge to the living and active word. That's exactly what the living and active word wants to do, is come to you at this heart level. Um, I'll hit pause. Any questions? That was really last week. It makes me think about, um, for me to be able to get over a grudge or resentment that I have, it's more plausible that I would do heart surgery on, on myself. Hmm. Than for me, outside of myself, Hmm. just to to get over that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and which one would be the bigger miracle? I mean, the bigger miracle would be for me to give up my grudge and my resentment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You get into these double negatives. You can't not not do that. Um, uh, You need to look ahead a little bit. You need something from outside of you. You know, Star Wars is uh, this dates me um the first one, the fourth one, I guess you 'd say the one that came out in nineteen seventy seven uh we look for another, we have to look for another because we can 't do it ourselves um, uh, what some of the old Puritans called we need an expulsive power, something that expulses and pushes out uh, uh, the natural powers that we have um and it's gotta that's gotta be discharged and so we need an explosive power of a new affection because this affection that i'm tied to uh, it's not helping me it's in fact hurting me so the living and active word um that's what's in there uh in front of you um among many other things move really quickly here Coming out of Hebrews, um, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, um, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions. There's that word of the heart. So the word of God, living, it's, an, it's a word is alive. It reaches out. It grabs me. We can personify the word of God, and uh, and not tire of that personification. It has, as it were, a life. That is outside of me, and it's necessary and needed. And it has a relentless, uh, dogged purpose, and that's to, to discern the thoughts and the intentions of my heart. So it's living, but it's also active, because it can be living and unactive. It can be living and sedentary, but the Word of God is living and active. It moves, it runs, it does not stop. As as someone once said, it's like the hound of heaven pursuing us, doggedly pursuing us, where we're the the rabbit fleeing Christ and his word in the snow. But Christ and his word, it, it follows us uphill and down dale through the briars and through the brambles, and it will not stop until it gets what it wants. The word of God living and active. I'm intending to make it kind of dramatic because it's a drama. There's a drama that occurs in the location of the Word of God between the sinning human and the justifying God. That was also in last week's handout. Um, uh, it's, there's a, a drama, a showdown, uh, similar to To Jacob who crosses the Jabbok River and he's all alone and he's there in the dark in the middle of the night and he confronts the dark yet where he's not sure if this is his God or his enemy, his devil. Um, And it's not until daybreak when there's revelation, when there's light and suddenly it's like, aha, this is God. Um, Up until that point, we're just pursued this living and active and dogged pursuit, this drama that, uh, that affects our ultimate salvation. But we have to come to our end first. What's ultimately going to be our death? Um, so, the word of God, living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Um, just highlighting what you can read, if you're so inclined. Um, uh, strangely enough, this is where it's fun to dip into a little bit of Latin, because we can read kind of the cognates for most of them. Um, uh, the deus desens, the God who speaks, literally the God is speaking, um uh, he speaks and we hear as, uh, as Steve Paulson reminded the staff this week uh, when uh, the Word of God living and active does what it wants uh, it falls on the ear and so what do we become we become one big gigantic ear Kathy was there you know we're just this big ear and nothing else uh, because all we do is hear and that's, that's encapsulated in this little phrase called a passiva, the, vida, the, 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 the passive life, or the better, the receptive life. The Christian's life is one who receives. Why? Because we suffer, we receive the Word of God, because it comes into the ear. We don't do anything to hear it. You don't have to lean forward, it, it, it gets stuffed into our ear. The speaking God puts himself in our ear. So we're in the passive life, the receptive life, the vita Passiva. Um, What is this word? It's a verbum externum. So it's the external word. It has to be outside of us. It's not natural to us. This is the place where it's not the four out of five dentist degree that it's already sort of in us and we can just sort of go into a desert island and find it within ourselves. We don't climb the Himalayas. We don't we don't close our eyes and squeeze them really tight and we'll sort of have inner illumination. Um we're gonna have the word from outside of us. It's gotta visit us from the outside in, uh, which then does something. The verbum efficax, the efficacious word, the word which creates something, which does something, it has an effect. So the verbum, the verbum uh externum is also a verbum efficax. It's an efficacious word then what happens it begins to interpret us we're no longer over the word as it were the bible not sort of over it saying okay well this is that and this is what this means and i'm sort of dissecting it and all it's this flip of it where now i'm underneath the word and the word dissects me it's living and active and what does it do it's like a scalpel sharper than any double-edged sword and it discerns it cuts in And it divides joint from marrow, discerning, dividing the thoughts, the intentions, the appetites of the human heart. Um, That's the word's activity. We start there. We've got to start with sin, because we've got to start from the ground up. But quickly, in order to know what sin is, we've got to have something outside of us. Because we're not going to say, like, oh, I get it. I'm wrong. No, I think I'm great. I think I'm really... If, if all of you would just do what I want you to do at the time I want you to do it, when it's a good time, and it'll be different tomorrow, my life would be much better. Thank you very much. And that's true. We see that especially driving. If everybody would just drive the way I feel like driving right now, my life would be easy. I don't care about it, y'all. It's all about me. We've got to have this word from outside of us, which invades us, which does something to us. And the word itself becomes its own interpreter. Sui ipsius interpretes. Um, that's the one that doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, does it? Um, uh, but that's uh, and what that just shows that a lot of people have thought about this for a long time in different ways. That's what the Latin shorthand also means: that the word becomes its own interpreter. So that's the living and active Word of God. Um, it's God breathed. The Second Timothy would say. Uh, it comes and it goes back to God. It does not return to him void, as Isaiah says. Uh, it's sharp. It's a sword. It's alive and active, as Hebrew says. And it's a word uh, that became flesh. It actually had meat put on its bones. Um, it became bones and meat and hair, as John reminds us in John 1.14, that the word uh, became flesh and dwelt among us, um, ultimately to die. So, Comments on the living and active word of God. And then we're going to run through the law to get to the gospel. You know, theology 101 class here. Um, so the law, what is the word of God? Well, the word of God—you can, you can both are right. You can say the word of God comes at us in two forms, or you can say there's the two words of God, but they form the one word of God. It's kind of like the Trinity is one God and three persons. Um, the one word of God is two words of God: the word of law and the word of gospel. Um, and the word of law is very different than the word of gospel. The two are never separated. This is going to be two weeks, but they're always distinguished. The word of the law is never the word of the gospel. And the word of the gospel is never the word of the law. The law is given. I'm going to jump through this. You can read about it if you want to. All these are really one thing, but you could break it up in different ways. It's legal. Obviously, we're talking about a law, so the legal metaphor is the prevailing metaphor here. Um, It accuses us, um, uh, and then it convicts us. um, It delivers a judgment. And then after judgment is passed, then it, uh, it executes, um, the sentence. The sentence is given. And then it executes the, uh, uh, the punishment. Death, in fact. Um, and so the word of the, uh, the word of the law, the law kills ultimately, but before that it accuses, it convicts, it condemns, and it kills. The law, uh, therefore, in that sense, becomes our enemy. Why can we say that? Because the law, which is good and right and holy, as Paul wants to say again and again and again. But remember this heart that I have? The law is always against me. It's against that heart. My heart that I'm born with, it thinks it's doing just fine. I think I own Red Mountain Expressway. And nobody else seems to get the memo. Um, uh, but the word from outside of me wants to say, Gil, you're wrong. You need to be um, shown what is right. You need to be convicted and condemned, and have the sentence executed. And ultimately, you need to be killed. That part of you needs to be killed. What the Bible calls the old self, the old man, or the old Adam. Uh, The law is always against that part of me. So that's that. A little bit higher than that. Does that mean every law is wrong? Absolutely not. There's a long excursus there. It would be helpful to some of y'all, not for others. um, So you can sew it away. That's why I put it as an excursus. Uh, There are some laws that are out there. Anything that says you ought to do this, you oughtn't to do that, you must do this, you mustn't do that, that are perfectly appropriate. Don't run with scissors. Run! Fire! Get out! Um, uh, Stripes and plaids, bad idea. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, As someone once put it, the use of that kind of law... That's what's sometimes called the first use of the law. It just orders society, the tax code. We don't like it. Um, Fire hydrants is a better one. Don't park in front of a fire hydrant. It's just a good idea that we don't do that, just in case they're needed. Um, uh, This sort of law isn't against us. Uh, Meaning what? Parents that tell their children, don't run with scissors or don't play in the street. Kids never come to my office as a counselor, as a therapist, because their parents didn't let them run with scissors. <laughs> Kids don't end up in therapy, in other words, for the first use of the law. Um, saying, I just wish that we could park in front of a fire hydrant. I really want, you know, you know, whatever. Um, it's the other one, the word that's against us. Like, be better. That was good, but next time, improve. Be um, Be prettier. Don't be so blank and be more blank. Um, you got to do this. Everybody else has what you don't have. And so your heart begins to love and desire that thing that you're flipping through saying, oh, how come we're not going there for spring break? We're just, quote-unquote, going to the beach. Rats. You know, The heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. Um, uh, that is the word of the law that needs to convict us and show us that we are... Um, we're only thinking about ourselves we're bent in on ourselves that's the function of the law so one minute what is the gospel Um, a couple of pages on that the gospel is the other word of God if the law kills the gospel makes alive if the law accuses the gospel uh, uh, if it accuses and condemns and imprisons the law acquits and frees. It opens the lock. Um, it comforts. It, it, uh, it, it, it encourages. Um, it gives what is most needed in the place that is most desperate. Um, the gospel is the last thing I want to say. What is the gospel? There's four ways to think about it. Two are not so fun or not so exciting. And two, when we stop and let it happen, um, it changes everything. The gospel is the word of God, and the gospel is not the law. Those are two things that need to be said. But the gospel is news. It's good news. It's not bad olds. It's not natural. Again, it's that word from outside where the gospel is the news that Christ Jesus died for sinners, and you're a sinner. And so that means Christ Jesus died for you. And then even more than that, because it's not just sort of out there. It's living and active, and it does something. As the as the gospel speaks, the very thing which is spoken is given. And so when the gospel says, fear not, the gospel being living and active, it gives you no fear. was um, else here, X-Files fans? You remember that show from back in the 90s? There was that thing called the black ink. This is what I keep coming up with in my image, um, where it's a strange thing if you haven't seen it. There was this this ink, this uh, this substance, which they were pursuing for like six seasons and all that, and and it would sort of get poured on their face, and kind of like mercury would sort of do this, and all of a sudden it would get kind of absorbed into them. So the gospel's kind of like that. It's like this black ink that's living and active, and it gives the very thing which it says um, that it can do. So when our Lord says, be not anxious for anything, it's as if He's this black ink, and he puts this thing on us, on our hearts, and said, Here, have the gift of no anxiety. And suddenly it goes in. And now it's not the law, because the word of law, same word, be not anxious, oh, but he doesn't know how anxious I am. And great, I can't even do that right. It's like shh, 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 shh. No, here, have it. And now it's done the very thing which it says. Um, Lazarus, come forth. The word of the gospel spoken does the very thing. Uh, which the word itself speaks life is given to a dead man and he comes out and he walks and he follows the word turns him from death to life and it ties him right to himself um, lazarus belongs to christ um the word from the sermon um, we are not our own we've been bought with a price we've been spoken into a new relationship we're now my lord and my god is uh is christ alone the very word of god so the gospel there's a lot more to say and luckily i've said it um i've said some of it uh it's living and active it's the word which does what it says is the word of god um which uh which gives the gift which is so sorely needed and we'll keep going back and forth or back to the uh to the gospel again and again so that was rushed we had a, a shorter time but Comments or thoughts? Questions? There's a lot in there. Still, um, the law always requires something on our part. Correct. It always requires something of us. We have no control. We can't affect the gospel. That's right. It's a, an effect on us. That's right. So, the law, as uh, it sometimes says, law says, do this. Mm-hmm. And it's never done. And the gospel says, believe this and it's already happened um be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect you've heard it said um you shall not murder but i say when you look at somebody and go you've already done the deed um the gospel says uh you're mine you're my beloved your life is hidden in me in god uh you need to have no fear no reprisal. Now you should start to have all sorts of questions like, well, what about that that angry heart that I still have? And we'll get there. Um, but that's what the gospel says. It's like, I see your angry heart. I'm not asking you a thing about it. Believe in this. And the thing which is already required, you'll find is already done. The gospel is to be heard and not lived. Something else I talked about there. It's really important. Thank you, Jim one more comment maybe if you have one let me pray Lord um, take this time and make it yours and and, uh, do with it what you will Um, thank you for uh, your work being done in your way let it always uh, have what it needs in Jesus name Amen. Amen thank you